0: We are going to continue in our worship together this morning as we read and teach from James chapter 3. So, as you get yourself settled, if you want to grab your Bible, grab one of the Bibles off one of the tray tables and make your way to the New Testament book of James. We are spending our summer with this great letter, and I will start this morning by telling you I could not be more grateful to the Lord this morning and the fact that he has given us these verses for this day. James, is a pastor who has written a letter to the people that he loves who have been scattered from their home in Jerusalem because of their faith in Christ and are experiencing tremendous persecution, confusion, frustration. Their emotions are all over the scale. And out of love for them, And under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, Pastor James writes the words that we have for us this morning in chapter three. So if you've got your Bible, we're gonna start in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me pray for us this morning and we'll begin. Father, thank you for the privilege it is again to gather here together by your grace and under your word, and we ask that you would do the miracle that only you can do, and you would bring our hearts into surrender to the truth of your voice as you speak to us through your word. It's your word alone that can divide into our heart our thoughts, our intentions, expose us, lay us bare, and it's your word by your spirit that revives, that heals, that makes new And so we ask this morning with expectation and hope that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do that miracle in each heart here that only you can do and you would do it in the name of your son for his glory, for our joy. We ask it, amen. I don't think there's a better question for us today than the question that James asks at the beginning of this in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you. A few weeks ago, I woke up on a Sunday morning to get prepared. I usually get up about five, turn my computer on, and the news was starting about 30 minutes before I turned my computer on of what would be 50 people needlessly slaughtered in a nightclub in Orlando. It would only be a couple of weeks until this week we would go to bed with the news of Alton Sterling... Being murdered in Baton Rouge. The next day, Philando Castile in St. Paul. And then again in Dallas, Texas, five police officers. There's been no end to the countless social media opinions, no end to the countless various calls of action. If the question that James asks at the beginning of this section is not the question for us today, I don't know what is. Who, who is truly wise? Who's truly understanding? Technically, the question is rhetorical. And like James does throughout the entire letter, he means for it to be a moment for you just to sit down and shut up, so to speak. just listen and allow the Spirit of God to move in your heart. He gives us, as we have said over the past few weeks, the grace of introspection here. He he gives you a moment to reflect on the reality of what's going on in your heart, but it's not just a, a moment of reflection, as we'll see James in the kindness of God is offering us an invitation as well. God knew exactly what was going to be going on in the world that we live in when we woke up this morning. He knew exactly what the thoughts and the emotions and the confusions and the frustrations and the fears would be. And he knew most graciously by his kind providence that we would be right here in this place in his word this morning having to deal with this question. So maybe you could be praying with me as I go through this, as I'm praying in my heart while I'm talking that God would use James' words this morning for his glory and our good and through us, the good of those around us, and that God by his grace might give us his wisdom, that we might be those who James will talk about are truly wise, and that God would make us sowers of peace with an eye towards a harvest of righteousness for his glory. As we enter into what James has said and what he is saying to us even now, the first thing that he wants us to understand is the big E on the eye chart. And that's simply this, that true wisdom is seen. True wisdom is actually demonstrated. True wisdom is not simply heard. It's actually seen. Who is wise among you? Look at what he says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, in the day in which James lived, in in first century Palestine, in first century Greek culture, first century Roman culture, the most prized virtue a person could possess is that of wisdom. And the way that the world around God's people then defined wisdom kind of fell upon two prongs. One was intelligence, how much you understood, how much you knew, how much information you had learned, how how learned you were, how many initials you had after your name, so to speak. But the other thing that defined wisdom in that particular culture was not just how many degrees you had or how smart you were, it was how well you could communicate. In the first century, the truly wise were believed to be those who not only had a large degree of learning, but they were the most rhetorically savvy. They were the the best orators. They could communicate and they could argue and they could twist people around with their arguments. They were the ones that the world looked at and said, oh, those are the ones who were truly wise. And James is writing to God's people that they might not fall prey to the deception of the world and to the deception even in their own heart. He doesn't want them to look out and go, well, true wisdom is founded in how much we know and how well we say it. No, James says, "Let's, let's identify the fact that true wisdom, those who are truly wise, they're vindicated not by their skill of speech, but by the way they live. How are we to know if one is truly wise in a world in which everyone has an opinion and the freedom and the capacity to share it with everyone they want through technology, how are we to know who is truly wise? James says the truly wise are vindicated not just by their skill of speech, not just how well they can do with 140 characters, not just how many likes they can get on a post. The truly wise are vindicated by the way they live. If I can sum it up even further. The big E on the eye chart for God's people is simply this. The proof of true wisdom is behavioral, not intellectual. And so having laid the ground for us to understand that true wisdom can't just be summarized in what is said, but it has to be vindicated by what's seen, James wants to help us understand what it is we're supposed to be looking for. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. Now, we, we talk sometimes around here about the way things are originally written in their languages, and we don't do it to try to show how smart we are, because really, I'm not that smart. I go on a computer, and we use a computer program that helps me understand what it actually said in Greek. It actually tells me what it's saying in Greek, so that I can understand. You can do the same thing. And sometimes, in translation, we lose the beauty of the language, There's aspects of what's being communicated in Greek that we don't translate well in English. And what James has said very literally here when he talks about the good conduct that's meant to reflect the presence of true wisdom is simply this, by his beautiful life. That's what the word we translate good conduct is most literally translated as. The truly wise are vindicated by their beautiful life. True wisdom is visible. The life of the truly wise is seen in a beautiful life of good works done in meekness. See, you and I are so similar to the the people that James loved and that James was writing to, we can get so tripped up into thinking that those who seem to know the most information and communicate in the best way must be the ones who are the wisest about a particular circumstance. And James says words are okay, There's nothing wrong with words. Wisdom is not less than words, but true wisdom is so much more. The truly wise are vindicated, not so much by how well they say things, but by how they live. James would say, you know, that's great. I've heard what he has said, but how does he live? The truly wise are vindicated as wise because you can see a beautiful life good works done in meekness. Now, Douglas Moo has probably written the best commentary that we can get our hands on when it comes to James. He has two versions of it, a more scholarly and a a more easily accessible. I think you can find a link to it on the website under the resources we have for, for James. But in talking about this meekness, Doug Moo says that meekness involves a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God and A corresponding lack of pride and a humility in our dealings with our fellow man. So, you and I don't use the word meek very often anymore. Oftentimes, meekness will be translated for us in some of our translations, and they'll just stick humility in there. And while humility and meekness can be interchanged with one another, meekness in particular is a unique fruit of the gospel because meekness, much like its synonym, so to speak, with humility is simply born out of a realization, a realization for the first time or a first time today, and a realization tomorrow of the depth of your sin And the stain of your sin and the presence of the holiness of God. The first time you realize your sin in light of the holiness of God and the next time you realize it today and tomorrow and the day after, you and I are meant by the grace of God to be struck at the very core of our being by the magnitude of the mercy that he has shown us as you and I continuously, daily, are reminded of the nature and the magnitude of our sin in the face of a holy God and his mercy shown to us by his grace through his son, you and I are meant to be struck. The magnitude of his mercy redeeming us, cleansing us, forgiving us, Adopting us and making us his own is meant to do something in us. It produces, as Doug Moo talks about, an awareness of our unworthiness before him and a consequent humility. And a humility or a meekness begins to boil up in us and take root in us. But that meekness, that humility, then spills out into our dealings, Moo said, with our fellow man. Meekness. It produces a a recognition of our unworthiness in the presence of God's holiness and it produces an increasing and overwhelming gratitude for his mercy in light of our sinfulness and that meekness produced in us and worked out through us produces in our relationships with one another a consequential meekness with each other and a mercy towards one another. The argument that James is trying to to lay the foundations for here is simply this. The truly wise are those who are continually humbled by the grace of God. And from an increasing gratitude to God for his grace, the truly wise demonstrate their wisdom through a humble, meek, beautiful life. The life of the truly wise can't be summarized in 144 characters. There's no emoji that can capture it. There's no Facebook post that can simply define it. The truly wise is vindicated by the life they live. And James wants God's people to be very careful and to be very clear about this. So to help us not so much understand what true wisdom is, the burden that James has for God's people is to help us identify what false wisdom looks like and what true wisdom looks like so that we might look not only at our own hearts, but at the world around us and be able to identify the two. So James is gonna start, he's gonna do the very Jamesy thing that he always seems to do. He's gonna compare false wisdom, he's gonna compare it with true wisdom. He's going to start in verse 14. Verse 14, he's going to start talking about false wisdom. But over and against the meekness produced by the gospel reflected in the lives of those who are truly wise, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You see, see the roots of false wisdom, what's what's underneath false wisdom false wisdom working itself out in the heart is bitter jealousy envy and its soulmate selfish ambition we all know what envy and bitter jealousy is we've all felt it we all know what it is to see god work in the life of someone else around us and to see god's blessing begin to work itself out in a particular way and rather than rejoicing with them we go to god coveting what it is he's doing in them we demand from God what we see him doing for someone else. We all know what it is to have bitter envy. We all know what jealousy feels like. We all know what it is to want to be sitting in the place where God has very sovereignly placed someone else. That bitter envy doesn't often come alone, it often comes with selfish ambition. And selfish ambition is simply taking what it is that I crave and what it is that I demand and what it is that I want, whatever my agenda is or my desire is and my interest is, and do whatever by whatever means necessary it is to get those things, regardless of how it hurts other people, regardless of the, of the tragedy that it might cause in someone else's heart. I will do by whatever means necessary it is to get what it is my heart wants. Selfish ambition James says these two things can take root in your heart. And in a stark contrast to the heart of the truly wise where meekness has taken root, in the heart of false wisdom, jealousy and selfish ambition exist. Rather than meekness, there's pride. James says don't boast. A prideful heart is nothing to boast about. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist and are flourishing in the heart, there's no room for boasting. Don't be false to the truth about it either. Claiming to be wise while living your life out of a jealous and selfishly ambitious heart is only proving yourself to be deceived. It's only saying one thing while doing another. James says that this kind of false wisdom, it's not the wisdom that comes down from above, verse 15. It's earthly. It's unspiritual it's demonic. James has already told us that it's from above, where God is, that all good gifts come. Everything good and right and beautiful comes from the Lord. It comes from above. But this kind of false wisdom this kind of wisdom that's born from the roots of bitter envy or jealousy, selfish ambition, it's not from God. And you can even, if you slow down and read this and imagine James being a pastor, writing to people that he loves, wanting to help them identify this false wisdom over and against this true wisdom, not wanting them to fall into this deception about what wisdom really is. You can hear the intensity begin to escalate in the way that he describes this false wisdom. He says it's not, it's not from above, it's earthly But you know what, it's unspiritual. It's demonic. You can hear him just escalate in intensity right there. You can feel him getting worked up. Another commentator said that in each of these ways, when he's describing this false wisdom being earthly and unspiritual and demonic, in each of these ways, false wisdom is is the direct antithesis of the wisdom that comes from God. The wisdom that comes from God is heavenly in nature, not earthly, It's spiritual in essence, not unspiritual. It's divine in origin, not demonic. And this false wisdom, this false wisdom that's born out of a proud heart with the roots of envy and selfish ambition, it doesn't lie dormant. It it produces fruit. The fruit that it produces is deadly. It's destructive. It's dangerous for the heart. It's dangerous for the relationships amongst brothers and sisters. Look at what it says in verse 16. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now listen, you don't need a PhD to explain to you that where everyone exists and they are out for themselves... Where everyone is out for their reputation and their agenda and their interest and their desires, when their lives are motivated by what their heart craves and what their heart wants, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get it, regardless of what it might mean to someone else or how it might hurt someone else, you don't need a PhD to explain to you that in a presence or a community where hearts are driven by what they selfishly crave, there can be no unity, there can be no peace. The only thing that can exist is disorder. There can be no real unity. There can be no real peace where everyone's heart is bent on themselves. And rather than list out a series of fruit that this produces, James just says, in the presence of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, where the heart is characterized by this false wisdom that does not come from above, where it does not come from God, every vile practice is possible. Pandora's box of the heart is opened. There's no end to the destruction that false wisdom can produce. It's telling that we we kind of did this out of order because we did the first half of chapter three a few weeks ago talking about the tongue because James introduced it elsewhere. But James is actually coming into this idea of true wisdom And the fruit of true wisdom over and against false wisdom, out of the argument about the destructive nature of our tongue when it's not bridled by the work of God's Holy Spirit. And and one pastor, taking what James is saying about wisdom and the way that we speak in relation to this, he said this, and I found it very helpful and instructive, even from my own heart. He said, There's a kind of person who is undoubtedly clever. You get it. They're smart, they can use words very well, they've got a cute brain and a skillful tongue, but their effect nevertheless in any any committee, in any church, or in any group is to cause trouble and disturb personal relationships. William Barclay said, it's a sobering thing to remember. The wisdom this person possesses is devilish, not divine. James cares so much about this because he wants God's people not to be indifferent towards it. He does not want you and I to be indifferent about the presence of bitter envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, the presence and the deceptive nature of false wisdom in our own heart. God has given us not only his word, he's given us his spirit and he's given us one another that we might be able together to help one another see these things in us and root these things out. You and I are so prone to welcoming these things in us, making room for these things in our heart, using these things to our own advantage and sowing to these things. And James, said, you can't do that. These things, they, they can't be named amongst God's people. These things are destructive for you. So he cares. And he wants us to care. If you're a follower of christ james is giving you this word and he's giving you this moment to just reflect for a minute where do you see the seeds of such false wisdom where do you see the the roots of bitter envy jealousy selfish ambition present in your own heart maybe you can even begin to see its fruits springing out in your life disorder everywhere around you like William Barclay said, destruction in relationships everywhere you go. Where do you see it? Ask God to show you. God has given you his spirit, He's given you His Word, He's given you His His people. Ask those who know you to help you see it, not so much that you can make much of it, but that you can kill it. That you can repent of it, that you can put it to death. Who's truly wise and understanding? That's what we want, that's what we need. No end to the diagnoses of what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with the culture, but what we need is wisdom. And what we're looking for is that which is truly wise. So James is gonna paint for us a portrait of what true wisdom looks like. Remember, his burden is not to define what wisdom is, his burden for us is to help us be able to identify what it looks like because true wisdom can be seen. Look at verse 17. The wisdom from above. The wisdom that God gives. Proverbs 2.6 says the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. The wisdom that comes from God is first pure. Then peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. True wisdom can be seen in light of the world that we live in and everything that's been going on around us, the symphony of voices, opinions and plans that have been thrust out across the airwaves and the internet. Listen, listen to that which is truly wise. That which is truly wise is pure. Now, when James talks about purity here, he's not talking about what we tend to think about, as one commentator said, as stuffy and prudish. This purity actually serves as a a catch-all or an umbrella for all the distinctives, all the fruit that James is about to listen, about about to list. This purity that James is going to list, this fruit of what is truly wise, in particular, it's pure and wise and fruitful, listen for it, in the way it impacts the relationships we have with one another. Listen to what he says. Ever the pastor, I I love this, ever the pastor, James gives a list of that which is truly wise and he alliterates the list. You don't get it in English. But in Greek, everything he's about to say starts with the same letter. I'm not that good. Other pastors here are. I'm not that good. But to help God's people then, remember what he's saying, he alliterates the list that he's about to give. So there is historical reference for alliteration. Those of you who will be preachers one day. Regardless of how much I make fun of it. James does it. The fruits of true wisdom. Peaceable who's truly wise in understanding that's the question all kinds of voices all kinds of people all kinds of smart sounding things who's peaceable more specifically who's peace loving peaceable peaceable people they want peace Peace-loving people work for peace. They love peace, which means when they have relationships with other people and their perspectives on a particular thing differ, they don't just withdraw like magnets polarizing each other. They don't carry unnecessary offenses that come from the differences that they actually have. While trying to put to death bitter envy and selfish ambition, they still pursue peace and they do it, James says, in the spirit of gentleness. They're not looking at people as steps towards getting forward in their life or using people however they can to get to what they want. They don't look at people as another argument that they have to make. They consider the words that they use and the way that they use them. They consider the things they do and the impacts that it will have on others. Peaceable people, peace-loving people pursue peace with others even when they disagree and they do it in the spirit of gentleness. But then there's this one, this third one. This third one that I think just is a dagger to the heart of an arrogant church. Truly wise people are open to reason. Truly wise people are open to reason. I asked multiple people this week, how can I explain this in a way that will make sense or that may sound different than the way someone's ever heard it before? And, And I don't know that anyone helped me come up with a completely new way of saying it, but what hit me the most was simply this. Do you make it easy for other people to come to you with concerns about something in your life? Do you make it easy for people to come to you with a concern about something they have with your life? Are you open to reason? Are you open to being wrong? Are you open to learning? Is everyone else wrong? Are you always right? Truly wise people know when to say you're right. I'm wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Thank you for helping me see that. Truly wise people, they love peace, they pursue peace, they go after peace, They do it in a spirit of gentleness and in in it all, they're open to reason. And and though he's alliterating this list of fruit, he he sets these next two off from the others by talking about truly wise people being full. They're, They're full of mercy, The truly wise don't face situations like James talked about in chapter 2 where a brother or sister in great need comes to them. The truly wise don't look at this brother and sister and go, yeah, I'm not really sure whether or not that person is deserving of my help or deserving of my mercy. The truly wise people are full of mercy and they look at that brother or sister in need who comes to them and says, how can I help meet the need that you have? What has God done for me? What has God given me? How in this moment can I help meet that need? Not, hmm, are you worthy of me helping you at this moment? No, true wisdom isn't found just in what's said. True wisdom is actually seen. And the truly wise are vindicated in the life that they live. And we can look around and, and discern whether or not something or someone is truly wise by the way that they live. Are they peace-loving? Gentle? Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. And then James comes right back to his alliterated list because he's a good pastor. He's got to get it all in there. And he says they're impartial. He's already dealt with that in chapter two. We spent an entire week talking about partiality. Partiality is not consistent with the gospel. You might remember the story when the apostle Peter was eating with a bunch of Gentiles and and men from Jerusalem came down and when he heard that they had come, he jumped up from the table and he ran to sit with them because he didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And Paul says, listen, that kind of partiality is not in step with the gospel. Partiality is not consistent or in step with the gospel. And James says those that are truly wise can be vindicated. It can be seen in a life that is impartial. Partiality has no consistent place with wisdom. And not only that, maybe the most difficult for us, the truly wise, they're seen in in their sincerity. That word literally means not playing a part, not playing a role. The truly wise, there's, there's no hypocrisy. There's a trustworthiness There's a transparency, there's a sincerity, and it's visible in the way that they live. I gotta tell you, as I was thinking about this particular text this week, I I couldn't help but walk away almost every single time I sat down to prepare so thankful for, for you, so thankful for this church. You see, it's really easy to be peaceable and to think and to believe that you're peaceable and reasonable when you don't have to actually hear the perspectives of other people who might be different than you or listen to their concerns. Spouting off thoughts and opinions on the internet while not talking to someone face-to-face is not the same thing as being peaceable, reasonable, and openness to reason. I've been so thankful for this church, even as you've demonstrated this kind of fruit over the last week in the conversations that I have heard you having. It's so easy to convince yourself that you're gentle. When you orchestrate your life to keep yourself apart from other people and you spend all of your time in and of yourself, it's so easy to be deceived and to think that you're gentle because you don't have to interact and engage with other people who may be different than you. I've been so encouraged and so thankful for you all week. Week after week, we see so many people who call this place home opening yourselves up Striving by the grace of God to live with sincerity. You've engaged me. You've opened up to me about things that you've seen, questions that you have had. You've engaged in dialogue with me and been open to reason, as I hope I have been as well, and merciful with me. See, here's the thing without each other, without actually living lives together, it is extremely easy to be deceived about who we really are. The reality of it is God cultivates this true wisdom through his word and he uses his people. If you're a follower of Christ in here, God is indeed cultivating by his spirit in you what James is talking about here that is true wisdom. I want to encourage you to continue to look for ways to draw near to others that you might grow more wise. And that God, by his grace, might use the wisdom that he's giving you, that he's reflected through your life to help cultivate wisdom and transformation in the life of others. It's been so, so helpful to me. And so let me just encourage you with this because we're gonna have to pick up what he says here in a minute. Can you think of one or, or two people for the rest of the summer that you can spend time getting to know better? Who, who you don't know, who, who may have a different experience in life than you do, than you've had? Can, can you spend time thinking about one or two people that you could purposely take the rest of the summer to get to know? Face to face, not just over the internet. I was thinking about this specifically in, in light of the past week. And so I'll, I'll say this in particular to, to my Anglo brothers or sisters in here. I've been encouraged to some measure by some of the things that I've read, that you've posted, that you've expressed, and the reality of your lack of understanding about certain situations. Let me, as a, a fellow Anglo brother in this room, say this. How about we not let our willingness to publicly express our lack of understanding be the end of our expression? how about we allow ourselves to not so much be vindicated as wise in what we say and how we say it online, but let our wisdom be seen in the lives that we live. We demonstrate our openness to reason, our peaceableness, our desire for peace by spending time talking to someone who's different, whose experience in this country is absolutely different than yours. Pastor Raymond, I think I wasn't here. Did you say it this service the way you did in the first, you didn't say it in the first service? We've got a number of men and women in this church whose experience in this country is vastly different than yours. Rather than just saying, I have a hard time understanding, I'm trying to understand, and hoping that in some way you're vindicated as wise in what you're saying and transparent, how about we take time to understand what the differences have been for other people in this country. Just have a conversation. Just take time to get to know someone else. I was particularly struck by this. I'll be very, very honest and, and, and candid in this. I have another of friends who are pastors who, who have made all kinds of comments. And I don't know, maybe you have to strike this from the record or I'll have to apologize next week because the elders will sit me down so you can't say that anymore. But I think I've grown a bit weary even in the last five days particularly of, of, of white pastors and, and particularly of, of my generation who, are, who seem fully content to be the John Knoxes of racial reconciliation in America online. We've got all kinds of plans for how things can be different, all kinds of ways. Listen, here's my encouragement. How about we not be content in trying to demonstrate some measure of wisdom simply in what we say? How about we pursue the kind of wisdom that God is talking about here and allow this kind of wisdom to be reflected by the way we live? If you don't understand, and let me just tell you right now, you don't. Do you know what, as an Anglo person in this country, do you know what you understand about what's going on? That it's wrong. That what happened was murder. That it's sin. And you should grieve with those who are grieving. You understand that. Don't say you don't understand that. But what you don't understand, and it's okay not to understand, which is why we learn. What you don't understand is what it is to be a black man or a black woman in this country. You don't understand that experience. I don't understand that experience. I got in my car. I did not worry about getting pulled over. don't think twice about it. So so rather than trying to vindicate ourselves as wise and the way that we can speak about the situations... Let's let the Lord vindicate the wisdom that he's producing in us through the lives that we actually live. And if you want to understand and you want to grow in wisdom and you want in your openness to reason, we've got so many people that would love to sit down and talk with you. Not over the internet, face to face. Take some time, even this week. Take James chapter three, verse 17. Pray it for the church in this country. Pray it for this church. Pray it for your pastors. The church has, has never struggled having an opinion on things. There's been no shortage of opinions in the church, but there is plenty of justifiable reason for a watching world and an exploited minority to look at the church and say, who's wise and understanding among you? I, I, I can read all the posts. I can, I can hear all the arguments. I, I can listen to all the voices, Who's wise in understanding among you? James says the truly wise, they're, they're known not just by what they say and how well they say it. They're known by the way they live. I hear him asking that of us in this church. Will we, will we be truly wise, not just well-spoken? See, the blessing of the kind of wisdom that James is talking about, the blessing of true wisdom, it, it's priceless. Look at verse 18. A harvest of righteousness. A, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As we live in light of the wisdom that God gives, our lives are increasingly pleasing to him, but also our, our lives As we live in light of his wisdom that he is producing in us and our lives reflect the presence of his wisdom in us through beautiful, meek lives, our peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, merciful, impartial, and sincere good fruit are meant by God, as one writer said, to be so compelling that it becomes the clincher for some who are coming to trust in the gospel for the first time. Not to be trite about it, but In some sense, as we live in light of the wisdom that God gives that he's producing in us out of the meekness that comes from cherishing the grace that he has shown us in Christ, we become very much like the Johnny Appleseeds of the gospel. That's the beauty and the elegance of the gospel. As it produces more meekness in us, we cry out for greater wisdom from God. As we live in light of the wisdom that God gives relationally together, the good fruit of God's wisdom produces the fruit of the gospel not only in us but through us and begins, to, begins by the grace of God to be produced in the lives of those around us as well. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Friends, James's question for us this morning, it's not only an opportunity for self-reflection. It's also an invitation. The wisdom that's required and the meekness that's meant to be reflected, they both come from the grace of God. So as we prepare to respond to God's word this morning, James is inviting you to something this morning. Listen to the words of Jesus himself who said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And Jesus said quite literally, "I am meek." In me, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, God would call each and every single one of us here this morning to come to the only true wise one, the one in whom meekness did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. The Son of God took on flesh, and in the most glorious display of true wisdom and meekness, he died in your place for your sins. Friends, as we respond to God's word this morning as followers of Christ, as we take the bread and remember his body, we dip it in the cup, remember his blood, we are reminded of the most brazen display of meekness and wisdom. And this morning, the only true, wise one calls you to come to him for rest, for forgiveness, for wisdom. Let me pray for us this morning and we'll respond. Father, we thank you for your word that that rescues us from self-deception. Your word that you use by your spirit to produce not only new life in us, but cultivate in us true wisdom. This morning, we ask that you would do the very thing that only you can do. You would change our hearts. Where there has been false wisdom taking root, where there has been bitter envy, selfish ambition, that you would show it to us, that we could put it to death and, put it to death and turn from it and, and by your spirit produce in its place true wisdom. Meekness and a life of good works born out of humility and gratitude for your grace. We ask that you would do that this morning for your glory, for our joy, and the good of the place where you've sent us. Amen.